We're continuing today with uh, our series called Eight Essential Elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel Series. Probably a little nutty, but after element six, I decided since by then we were, I think, into around 70 weeks to 72 weeks, somewhere in that range. I think it was 72 weeks, so by the time we finished element six, I just decided uh, since we uh, picked up so many new people in the last year and a half, and plus it's you know kind of hard to keep that much material sort of continuous in your brain, I decided to do uh, a review which it looks like it's, that's going to end up reviewing the eight elements, plus uh, I'm going to have two appendices. And uh, so the review is going to end up being about 12 weeks total. And tonight, today is the 10th week of the review. So uh, since we haven't, had not done element seven or eight yet, I've called element seven, element seven previewed, and we did that two weeks And today we're going to look at element eight previewed, which is also the first of two weeks. We're going to take two weeks to preview element eight. Now, the uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of the uh, whole thing underneath Grace Christian Fellowship's logo, there's a uh, uh, address for listening to these on podcast and. if you want outlines, you just email Stephen, who works for, he, uh, well, he works part-time, works full-time, but part-time for each of the elders of the church, so helps us all out with various things. And uh, so just email Stephen, and he will email you. I think uh, he's downstairs now, but I'm pretty sure now they just, instead of emailing you the outlines, they just give you a link so that you can open it on Dropbox, but John has it programmed so that no one can change the Dropbox outlines except me kind of thing. I think that's how it works. Anyway, um, Roman numeral one is a, a list of the eight essential elements, and uh, we are now up to element eight. So that uh, we've spent nine messages reviewing the first element zero through seven. That should actually read. Uh, I always just kind of start with, or and then uh, last two weeks we previewed element seven which is all about uh, a pattern. We're very big on the idea that in Exodus, Moses was told to build the tabernacle exactly according to the pattern. And if you, if anything probably characterizes modern Christianity, it's that we haven't really, uh, we've said we're Bible-believing, but we've kind of put our stamp on our reduced Bible gospel, and, our, and there's pretty much no doctrine of the church or community. And uh, lots of things have been reduced in their, in their message. So what we want to do, you know, a big element of Grace Christian Fellowship is uh, what we call rediscovering or rethinking by, by, by thorough study and seeking God and, and trial and error uh, until we press more and more into rebuilding or restoring uh, a bibl- biblical Christianity. We break that down into 15 emphasis, and we run a series on Tuesday nights at Wright State uh, called Rediscovering and Restoring Biblical Christianity, which we've been on for about a year and a half, and we're anticipating it'll take about two and a half more years to finish that. And the Wright State Bible studies, we can't stress enough, are not for Wright State students. We haven't had a lot of our married couples come to that. Uh, we've had some. But uh, you are welcome at that. We just do it at Wright State Campus so that we can kind of go where they are and reach out. And, and it has been 
instrumental in a number of people starting to track with the better with the Lord or or with us or or both and and so forth. So, um, I am not going to review much what we did the last two weeks because we're then we're reviewing the review too much, and then I'm not getting far enough into the message. I will say that on number four, deliverance and healings, we didn't cover much, but I decided not to spend another week visiting that topic because we will cover that thoroughly. We believe that over uh, 25% of Jesus' ministry was casting out demons. He lived in a much more godly culture than we live in, and we actually believe casting out demons is a necessary and important thing. We just don't really like the showmanship of TV Christianity. There's, there's a movie that has a great line that says TV ruins everything. And uh, <laughs> that it touches, TV destroys anything it touches. So we do that in private situations. We have teams of people who know how to do that. Maybe around 13 or 15 people in the church uh, know how to do that. And, uh, and maybe another 10 or so have helped once in a while. And uh, so we... Uh, you know, we do that after some private counseling and after some preparation whenever possible. Now, there are situations where, uh, you know, we're praying for someone or something and demons start to manifest and we end up having to do, deal with that right then, but that's kind of rare, but it, it does happen. That's uh, inevitable if you're going to step into walking in more feeling of the Spirit and more power of the Spirit and more gifts of the Spirit and so forth, because in the Gospels, the demons would often manifest because Jesus came into the situation so filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And demons are a little bit like bats in a cave. Uh, they try to, their first strategy is to try to stay hidden. And uh, if that fails, then they try to go overreact so that maybe they can scare you or whatever. And neither strategy uh, really works, thankfully. And uh, so... Taking authority over de demon spirits is, is kind of part of uh, biblical Christianity. And uh, so we'll look at that in more detail. We'll actually do a whole message on why a Christian can have a demon. You can be a real, born again, converted, making progress in sanctification and, and maturation Christian and still need deliverance from demon spirits at times. We'll look at the biblical theology behind that. And we'll uh, do a whole week on, on what, 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 what demons are, who they are, and, uh, and on some of the biblical conditions to not only get delivered, but maintain our deliverance. So about three-quarters of the way down the first page, uh, Roman numeral four, where it says today, today we're going to look at element eight, uh, and we're going to preview that, and we, I call uh, element, almost all the elements, I have like a title and a subtitle. So the title is Maturing in Jesus Christ, subtitle, A Progressive Journey into Grace Upon Grace, okay? So um, uh, after, uh, so I, I want to start by kind of orienting ourselves to where this idea of maturing in Jesus Christ or growing in grace uh, or coming out of performance-based life and, in some case, performance-based Christianity into a grace-based, uh, where does this, you know, I kind of always want to orient myself in the bigger picture, you might say. And so the first thing I want to say is that um, there's a lot of overlap between growing in grace upon grace and 
step five of the uh, five first steps. And if you remember, that's one of the reasons I decided not to keep going with that. Step five in our five first steps is that you enter a New Testament lifestyle. And in a New Testament lifestyle, there's a little picture of that in in Acts 2, 37 through 47, for instance. You see various pictures of that all throughout the rest of the book of Acts and the epistles. Um, We will address the issue of why a lot of people think that uh, it would be biblical to sell our possessions and and live in communal community, like an economic communalism. Uh, And that was let done by the Spirit of God for the Jerusalem church only. It is not a biblical New Testament model, and we'll explain why that is when we get that far, when we get the little, when we go back through and do uh, element seven in more detail. And i uh, having trouble getting rolling today. Um, so uh, we'll look more at that. But in a New Testament lifestyle, the thing that I want to emphasize the most is there are all, always two dimensions. You, you know, the, the cross cannot have a horizontal dimension if it doesn't first have a vertical dimension. And actually, in the Christian life, every person has to come through the door of Jesus Christ one at a time. That's what we covered in the 23 weeks that we covered what it means to receive Jesus Christ. But when you receive Jesus Christ, unlike our radically individualistic uh, Christian culture today, you're actually supposed to receive Jesus Christ, and then he brings his friends, so to speak. Yeah, there's, there's no, God's intention has been to have a people of, for his possession. And to not walk in Christian community is to reject Christ. Because he not only comes to us through, as we're going to see today, through his word and through his spirit, but he comes to us through his people. And so like a, a very big movement in, in allegedly Bible-believing Christianity today is what they call the unchurched church. People who say, I prayed a sinner's prayer, and I'm going to heaven, uh, or so they think, uh, and, uh, but I just uh, I don't have anything to do with uh, spiritual disciplines, and, and I especially don't have anything to do with other Christians. And, uh, you know, one of the things that my wife and I will always be quick to point out is we, uh, after we had planted three churches from 1979 to 1991, uh, while we were raising our kids, we decided to step away from the ministry for 12 years. And dur- during those years, the uh, best decision we ever made, frankly, in a lot of ways, um, but during those years, um, we couldn't find any church. We looked as far as Springfield, Cincinnati, Wilmington. We couldn't find any church that we weren't compromising a great deal of, of biblical models and patterns to be a part of. So we even said if we could find something that, um, that has 50% of what uh, it would mean to go back to being, a, to being biblical Christianity and a biblical view of the church and so forth, then we will never start a church again. We'll just be a part of that. But even though we never found that, hear this clearly, we always were a member of a church anyway. And we would, uh, you know, teach Sunday school classes and serve. Uh, it was, you know, took a little bit of relational wisdom because we believed in being under authority so that uh, we just, you know, like we thought, as long as we're remembering here, we're not going to necessarily teach anything opposed to what they teach. 
We'll just teach what we can that, that agrees with what they teach. So, um, and we didn't do a lot of serving in a lot of churches. I mean, we served in more natural means, sweep the floors, set up tables, clear off the pizza boxes. And uh, I wanted to make sure my kids were raised doing that kind of stuff. And uh, I've never understood churches that have to have like professional staff to do all that when there's lots of people around. And uh, so... You know, we did all that kind of stuff. I just didn't do a lot of leading Bible studies and discipling and different things. But in any case, the point is you have to find some way to connect with the body of Christ. And the body of Christ will never be perfect because we're fallen. And you know, if we weren't fallen, you would still not be able to find a perfect church. I doubt that we'll ever, even despite our vision... I doubt we'll ever even be that a very good church. Uh, I doubt I'll ever become a really good pastor. <laughs> but uh, but, but that goes beyond the fact that I'm a sinner, as you all have well documented. But uh, it, go, it goes into the fact that I'm finite. And so I always say, like, in communication problems, even if there was no sin in our relationships, we'd still have problem communicating because what you mean by door might not be what the other person means by door. You know, they might be thinking of a garage door with an overhead automatic opener, and you're thinking of a saloon door that swings or something. I, you know, whatever. That's kind of a silly illustration. But, um, when you know, like working toward really understanding each other is inevitable. One of the reasons we've emphasized that we need to be uh, interracial and and international and so forth, and we've worked hard at that, um, is simply because there's great benefit in learning how to relate to every different kind of person and learn how to become all things to all men. It, in, in your attempt to serve them, like Paul said, who, who waters will himself be watered. In your attempt to learn how to relate to different kinds of people, you yourself must grow to do that. So uh, one of the things you should embrace all the time, like don't sit with the people at, you know, we have a Sunday dinner after church. Don't sit with the people that are like you. <laughs> you know, sit with people that are not like you. Uh, because the Lord Jesus requires that. There was no examples in the New Testament of homogeneous churches. They just didn't exist. And uh, kind of, uh, I'm, I'm actually uh, thinking of writing a book about unstated Bible doctrines in Bible-believing Christianity that would never, no one would ever state it. Uh, although that was stated, like if you go back in, in the late 70s, there became a kind of a, a movement of books called the Church Growth Movement. And that was actually one of the doctrines. If you want a big church, you have to be homogeneous. Go to a neighborhood or an area, usually the suburbs, kind of a man in the city, and don't go too far out in the country so that, you know, so that you can get a lot of people who are low maintenance and white and uh, uh, lower middle class to upper middle class and build a church that way. Because people like to be with people who are like them. And although we, you know, never get past uh, some people who are like one another, sit with another, you know, in America today, we have Korean churches and churches from Rwanda and church and so forth. And we may never uh, get past that, but we must not become that. 
Less than 7% of churches in America are truly integrated. And uh, we do have a better attendance among our African-American members in the second service than we do in the first. And, but uh, I'll never make peace with not having leaders that are black and white, uh, musicians that are black and white, uh, community among black and white. We've got to have that. And even if there are uh, various people that we're discipling and reaching out to that maybe are, are more broken and take a lot longer to get to uh, the level of healthiness and Christian maturity and community that we enjoy and that you should enjoy as a Christian, we will never give up moving there. Never. And in fact, I, I always work the most with those who are the most needy to, in terms of getting there. So, uh, anyway, so that whole, uh, you come through the door of Christ, the, the um, vertical dimension, and you, uh, but you must embrace the horizontal dimension. In terms of the vertical, of course, the vertical dimension, that, that involves things like uh, spiritual disciplines. We've got to get past this culture of devotionettes. And like, if you just seek God 10 minutes a day and just read like four verses a day, you know, like we really have to return to ancient spiritual disciplines and really study the word thoroughly and fast and seek God, use all the solitude, worship, uh, praying in your spiritual prayer language called speaking in tongues. We need to use all kinds of spiritual disciplines to keep that intimacy with God strong and connected. But then it must be a shared relationship with community and discipleship and taking our meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, moving from house to house, and so forth. We, you know, we always need to have a great deal of what we do be beyond what we do on Sunday mornings. Now, I'm still on orienting myself. I got a little, preach, preach myself off the outline for a little bit there. Um, Second point under orienting ourselves is that sometimes, especially in our contemporary situation where we have such a reduced gospel, and in fact the goal is actually to get decisions instead of getting disciples, and we've actually kind of perverted the gospel into being a disciple as an optional extra that you might want to continue. If you're still struggling with that mentality, we have a number of foundational articles that address that. Dallas Willard's book called The Great Omission, Reclaiming the uh, Jesus' Essential Teachings on Discipleship uh, hits that pretty hard, although that's a little more difficult book on intellectual level. Uh, not, not too hard, though. Uh, you know, the idea uh, that it's an optional extra, even, you know, even the, the classic uh, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer you have to kind of dismiss the one thing that he too much emphasizes is this is something optional you might want to consider. And it's not. That's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. There is no Christianity in the New Testament that's not taking up your cross, denying yourself, and following him. If you're not seeking to become like Christ and become obedient, that, then you're not really, that's, that's what faith means. Faith doesn't mean what an intellectual assent to a body of doctrines that it includes that, but it's it's trusting in the Lord so much that you actually follow, obey, become like Him, and so forth, that you give your whole life. And there's no 
salvation biblically apart from that. Now, with the current culture especially, but he, it is sometimes difficult to understand where conversion is, is stopping because most Bible-believing Christians that come in our doors are not fully converted. Some are not converted at all. Some are, are kind of like someone born uh, prematurely or something. Uh, and, you know, uh, most are missing uh, the idea of making Jesus Lord and, and so forth. So sometimes because of our culture's nature of defensiveness, you know, C.S. Lewis brings out in his book, The Problem of Pain in the 50s, that we're becoming a very defensive culture. Like love is to accept all behaviors and, and applaud all behaviors all the time. And so like most of us have a, have a learning curve to actually become a Christian, to learn how to live among people who speak the truth in love so that we can grow up in all aspects into Christ. Most of us don't like that. We don't like, because relationships humble us and, and they don't leave us where we're at. Excuse me. So, <clears throat> I like to liken it to uh, in you know in your old-fashioned cars, you would have uh, forget if hot or colds on the left or the right. I think hot's on the right and colds on the left. So if you're facing the dashboard, that would be you know this right and that left to turn around. And uh, it you know the hot would be symbolized by dark red, and then you'd slide this lever that gets to pink. And eventually it gets to white. But as it's getting there, it starts overlapping. On the far left, you have dark blue. Then you have lighter blue and, and still lighter blue. And, and they sort of overlap. And I think, I think con, where conversion stops and maturation and sanctification start is a little bit like that. On uh, more modern cars, like my car has the same thing, but it's now just on a little dial. But the, the, to the far right, the red is... is Strong red, and it's nice and thick, and then the red is getting smaller as I go counterclockwise and getting less red, more pinkish than white. And on the far left, at like 7 a.m. on a clock, is the dark blue and for cold. And then as you start going clockwise, it gets medium blue, and the, and the little arrow gets smaller and smaller. And then, then they kind of overlap for a while. And I think, I think where conversion stops and maturation and sanctification begin is a little bit like that. So uh, one of the things that I always do is I kind of love on people, build relationship, have them over for dinner, uh, have, you know, have, go out to eat with them, whatever. Build enough rapport that I can kind of, you know, when I sense that there's kind of an openness not to be as defensive as normal and this kind of thing, uh, you, uh, we might just start, I, I start usually with asking them their testimony and what God's done in their life and so forth. And is that as we build a platform, we might help them find many of the ingredients they're missing in terms of the gospel. And that's just the nature of the, of the Christian culture that we're up against today. And almost everyone has a very reduced gospel in their mind and heart. And sometimes it's led to more critical problems than others. In fact, you often get a chance to present more of the real gospel when, when God, by his grace, has brought someone to a place where they perceive themselves in some kind of crisis. They've lost jobs, marriages, 
their addictions have cost them this or that, and, uh, and, and, and now they're really willing to consider that maybe the Christianity they've had in their mind and heart has not been adequate for real life, and that's not really as Christian as they thought it was. And so, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The most wonderful thing God can do for anyone is bring you to a point where you're poor in spirit. If things are falling apart, that's when you really start to rejoice, because you're probably going to find Christ more realistically. So, even in sanctification issues and maturation issues, I always say you have to be illusioned to begin with to become disillusioned. And if you're... you're, uh, you know, if you're building on less than full reality, your, your life will crash on the rocks of unreality. And that is a great opportunity in life. Those are the best times, because those are the times that you really get more serious about crying out to God, and He finds you. He brings you to that so, he, so that He can find you deeper. And then in today's climate, you stand up at church and say, I've been searching for truth all my life, and today I found God. And I just want to say, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> You've been running from God for all this long, and he finally got you down and got his, your, his foot on your neck, and you said, okay, I want Jesus. I've always loved Jesus. <laughs> all right, so, all right, moving on, point B. Sanctification and maturation defined. Uh, Hebrews twelve fourteen. Uh, is just one verse among, uh, if you notice that next to point one where it says sanctify, sanctify, sanctifies, and sanctification, if you just take those words, I eliminated the word sanctuary because that would have got out of control. But uh, those words appear in the Old Testament 30 times, the Gospels five times, Paul's writings eight times, seven times in Hebrews, and once in First Peter. Now, that's just the times that the, that the Greek is translated with those words, but it's sometimes translated with holy ones, saints, and, and things of that nature, set apart, and so forth. So the basic root word hagiazo is a verb form, hagiasmas, etc. Words like that are the same root as you sometimes get translated, especially in the King James, hallowed be thy name, holy ones, saints, and so forth. So it's even more than what we have listed here. It's a big concept in the Bible. And, uh, you know, Leviticus 19.2 says, You shall be holy, for I the Lord am holy. And then 1 Peter chapter 1 quotes that verse to the body of Christ verbatim. So it means to consecrate, to dedicate, to purify, cleanse, renew, make holy, set apart, and so forth. Now, Hebrews 12, pursue peace and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Please understand how the Bible approaches things. This, that doesn't just mean that no one will go to heaven without pursuing sanctification, but you won't even perceive God correctly until you perceive, pursue sanctification. 1 John 3 says we don't know what we'll become but we do know that when we see him, we'll, we'll know him for who he is. And anyone who has that hope purifies himself as he is pure. You can tell. So don't, we always go back to the wrong thing. Oh, I must try harder to purify myself. No, if you're not, uh, if you're discerning that uh, there's not enough uh, crying out and seeking and, and zealousness towards purification in your life, 
go back to say, God, I must be lacking the hope that you're going to complete this work and that I'm going to be more and more like Christ. Go back and get your level of hope that, that what God is doing in rescuing you, and he's not just giving you imputed righteousness. What he's doing in rescuing you is restoring everything that was damaged by the fall of man so that you become just like Jesus. Jesus was the one man who ever lived that was not, did not have a sin nature. He was tempted in all things, but he with, but was without sin, and he was the perfect man. He is the ideal model and pattern, as we dealt with the last couple of weeks, for everything. If you want to know what maturity looks like, read a lot of the Gospels all the time. I personally think you should always be working through the Gospels, as well as the other parts of Scripture, but you should always be meditating about Christ. And that's one of the reasons John and I have labored so much in the last four years about how to read the Bible Christologically is you, we, you know, you've got to get to the point where you're seeing Christ in every page. Because it's all about the perfect man uh, who happens to be 100% God and 100% man. The eternally begotten Son of God. So, when we talk about sanctification, all these words like purify, cleanse, and stuff are always relational. That is, they're in relationship to God because there's no such thing as holiness without him as the point of reference because he's the only holy one. You know, you don't have to come to our church very long before you realize, well, Obviously, Pastor Greg's not the only one. So, like, you know, like, you would probably have to be here about 30 seconds. But, uh, or even have a modicum of decent theology before you come. But, uh, you know, he's the only holy one in the universe. So we can't know holiness without looking at him. So holiness setting apart is setting apart to God. We don't want cultural holiness. We don't want legalistic holiness. We want biblical holiness based on the person of God. Maturation is also always in relation to Jesus. He's the only mature man that ever lived. If your wife lovingly tells you once in a while you're not that mature, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so um, don't get defensive. Just say, well, duh, of course, I'm not that mature. Um, now, that word is, I didn't get into the Greek for it. Well, I guess I did a little further down. But it's also translated perfect, complete, finish. Um, it's sometimes related to the, the Greek idea for integer or whole number. And it comes from uh, the Greek uh, teleos, which a lot of us know, like Christ is the telos. Teleos is a derived from telos, uh, Romans 10.4, Christ is the, the goal, the end, the completion of the law uh, for all who believe. So um, telos means to be brought to its end, to, to its mature completion. When that, it's the word used in Matthew 5.48 at the end of Jesus' long discussion on don't think I came to abolish the law and the prophets, but I came to put them into force. And then he helps us understand the law better when he talks, when he uses... Uh, biblical case laws and says, well, 
You've, you think that it's about don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you don't even lust in your heart. And you think it's about don't murder, but I'm telling you don't even diminish the capacity of your fellow human man by, by calling him an empty head or a nothing. Anyone ever, uh, you know you still have a lot of pride when you think of other people as like they're ignorant or, you know, uh, my my stupid roommate or you know like if you if you still have that uh someone else is is an airhead in your heart that's not good and cry out to god for grace to grow solid food is for the mature who because of practice uh have their senses trained to discern good and evil therefore leaving the elementary teachings about the christ let us press on into perfection so in Matthew 5, 48, usually translated, be ye perfect in the King James, or be, that it's, it means be mature, be whole. Don't be partially like Christ, be completely like Christ. All right, so let's flip over. Hopefully uh, I can pick up the pace here. Grace must proceed to include divine empowerment. Uh, hopefully we all know by now that the both in Catholic and Protestant circles today, Almost all uh, Christians today define grace as undeserved acceptance or undeserved favor. And that is the first little stepping stone into what grace means. That's maybe one, two, three percent of the definition. Uh, and it's kind of an important little doorway to go through. However, grace is empowerment, grace is enablement, uh, grace. Uh, causes us to be able to do the will of God. I cannot do anything godly. Any, All your efforts outside of grace are what the Bible calls dead works. And repentance from dead works is one of the foundations of the Christian life. Hebrews 6.1. So uh, any performance-based approach is always uh, dead works. So Paul in Acts 20 says, I commend you to God. In the word of his grace, I uh, left some scriptures up at the top so and so forth. And we are going to go into grace a lot more in, in the coming weeks. And we have a series already on our uh, podcast. Uh, of course, the way they're organized, there's one under of them under, what do you call it, Sermon of the Week, because every once in a while I speak at 1030, but not very often. And uh, But most of them are under Sunday Bible study, and you have to go all the way back. It was actually the first series that we put on the podcast, You have, I think. So you have, is that right? Taylor Momley listened to it recently, so she's saying yes. It's the very first series, and uh, and I think it's 2013, something like that. It's the very first series when we started putting them on the podcast. And it corresponds to John's uh, very first series that you should listen to as well called Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, those are two of our best series to get started with. So, in any case, uh, grace is goes way beyond, uh, you know, like Paul talks about how he received grace to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, nobody even thinks of faith as in obedience as being one and the same thing today, but faith and obedience are inextricably intertwined all through the scriptures. Uh, John did a very excellent series on Hebrews. Listen to his lectures on Hebrews 3 and 4. And of course, better yet, read it a few times for yourself, and uh, 
you'll see that obedience, it Paul, well, John thinks Paul is the writer of Hebrews. I, I'll stay in the camp that we don't know. Well, I'll find out when we get to heaven. But uh, <laughs> but uh, he, he's, he goes, so you see they weren't able to enter because of unbelief. Then he says, so you see they weren't able to under, enter because of disobedience. Well, which is it? <laughs> he's using those words interchangeably. Grace brings about the obedience of faith. Faith always works through grace. Ephesians 2.8. All right, so um, Paul labored more than all of them because of the grace of God on him. What will motivate you to be missional, to serve, to, to seek God, to study, to do all the things that God's calling you to do is only grace. If you find yourself like not studying the Bible as much as you know God wants you to study the Bible, draw near to the throne of grace to help find help in time of need. I always start with the lesson I learned when God took me out of drugs in 1974. I finally got, after six months of God convicting me that I, and I was doing what all addicts do, bargaining from time, and I'll quit next week, and you know, and all this kind of nonsense. And finally I said, God, I can't quit. I can't even want to quit. I can't even want to want to want to pray to quit. Rescue me. And it was probably within two to three weeks that I was delivered from drugs. And, and uh, it's been about 42 years. So I think by the grace of God, we're heading in the right direction. But uh, on that particular issue. But uh, so, uh, you know, you... You, you draw near to the throne of grace in every area. Just like, Lord, I can't want to study the Bible as much as you want me to study it. I am not even in love with Jesus enough. And I'm way too trivial and frivolous of a person and way too fixed on, I don't know, whatever your distractions and diversions tend to be. And, uh, you know, rescue me. I'm going to switch to coffee. Sure is hot in here today. Oh, I've made the mistake of wearing an undershirt. I always forget that I can't do that here. Okay. Um, so, moving on. Point D, growing in grace. Uh, so, two introductory concepts. We can grow in grace because grace is relational. It's never stagnant. It's acquirable. But one of the things you need to understand, it's not necessarily inevitable. Now, on the backdrop of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints and everything, it's God's intention, and, and God can, you know, I'm confident that he who began a good work, Philippians 1 6, will complete it and so forth. But, you know, don't be lackadaisical about grace. 1 Peter 2b says, May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure, which means always read the reverse, what I call the reverse, reading the reverse negative. That means it's possible for grace and peace not to be yours in fullest measure. Right? So, uh, second thing is, uh, and we'll, we'll develop all these concepts more in the weeks to come. This is a preview of how, and we're going to go into all these concepts deeper. Philippians 2, I love this verse because he says, So then, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence also, but now, now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you stop there, that seems very performance-based. But, it dis- it, the, but the sentence doesn't stop there. And you can't do like, that's kind of a popular hermeneutic to take things out of their context today, but, but biblically you can't do that. Uh, 
So um, he goes on to say, for it's God that's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. True grace understands that God, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. God converted you in the first place. God made you more hungry or, or drew you or God caused you to, to cry out to him, to seek him. God brought you to your, you know, being poor in spirit, all of that kind of stuff. And only God can help you continue to grow in grace and to grow in wanting to, to uh, encounter the delivery systems of grace, as we're about to talk about. So keep that in mind. I always use the Christmas dinner illustration. You know, uh, Christmas presents are free, right? You know, we don't charge each other. That'll be a dollar for your Christmas present. <laughs> you know? But, you know, they usually require, at least in our family, they require coming to our, uh, you know, pre-Christmas uh, worship and discussion of the incarnation and reading of John 1 or Ma Matthew 1 and 2 or Luke 1 and 2 or whatever or way we're talking about the incarnation of Christ that particular uh, Christmas Eve. Then they require, and, you know, worshiping and singing Christmas carols and, then they require dinner. What a burden. Wait, you said it was free. There's no catch. You know, you got to eat turkey and pork roast and sauerkraut, mashed potatoes. Oh, bondage. And, um, you know, like, I always wonder why they bother to have peas and green beans and stuff. It's like, <laughs> no guy's ever going to eat any vegetables. But, uh, you know, but there's stuffing and there's gravy and, and uh, you know, and... Uh, on and on to eventually, you know, you have to choose from the nine types of pie and narrow it down to three <laughs> or so. And uh, what, a, you know, like there's a catch to the free grace. <laughs> and then when they hand you the present, you got to unwrap it. <laughs> oh my, what hardship. <laughs> and then, uh, so, but the truth is grace has to be unwrapped. But it's God himself that motivates you. Like if you just heard all that description about the Christmas dinner and so forth, you might be motivated. Okay, sounds good. Sign me up. You know, <laughs> I'm coming. Uh, so uh, it's free, but it has to be received. And it's God himself that motivates you to receive and to, to unwrap the grace. And then you get to that terrible line some assembly required <laughs> and, and uh, then you decide I think this thing's worth actually putting together all right so uh, growing in grace I'm kind of, I'm running out of time attitudes for and actions for appropriating grace for H words we'll talk about these things but humility honesty um, hung, hunger and, and, and using all holistic, that is using all four of the tool or all three of the means of grace and so forth, um, are, are required. And I, honest thing about humility and, and honesty, one of the things that I would really, really, really encourage you to, to consider is that our whole culture today is very defensive. Lots of people get in the church, and what they kind of do is keep a lot of stuff to themselves. So they're living with the brothers and they're coming to meetings and so forth, but they're never really that honest about who they are. They're not seeking guidance. They're not opening up, so forth. Lots of people, if you try to correct them, they, they won't take the correction. That is like step one to growing in Christ. I know people who've been Christians 20 years, 30 years, who've not grown hardly at all because they're not correctable. 
you have to be correctable, A, with the Scripture itself, B, the Holy Spirit, but C, with your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Now, we're not, like the Scriptures warn against being busybodies, and the Greek there means uh, um, meddling shepherds. Like, we're not, like, out trying to look for problems. But the problem with that, for your sake, is that if you're not finding anyone that you can consistently open up to and be honest with and that you're correctable with, you will never grow. Never. Because, um, you know, I use a, when I hold up my hand like this, you see the back of a hand, I see four knuckles, and, and you see one side of a thumb, I see the other side. And we need the whole perspective. And there are things that you'll never find in Christ that, except because they're in your brother and sister. And often that involves the speaking truth and love to one another. People who are not seeking advice, um, they sometimes can know a lot of Scripture. Sometimes they can be even filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, They will always be missing big things. Because there's just some things you can't see without someone else helping you see them. I am who I am today primarily not because God gave me the habit of studying Scripture three hours a day as soon as I became a Christian, which he did, but and that's helped a lot. But I would say more than any other reason, it's because of the men God's had disciple me. It's because of my wife and what she's added to my life in terms of seeing what a knucklehead I am. <laughs> you know, If she didn't explain it to me sometimes, I'd be like a little blind, <laughs> a lot blind. So, you know, I have good brothers and sisters who do that for me. And, of course, some have a better platform because of their own maturity than others and so forth. Sometimes you have to take into account the source or whatever. But I don't dismiss what people say uh, without hearing it out. And sometimes I don't give an answer right then because I know the human propensity to be defensive. Sometimes... I just say, thank you very much, and I get back to them in a week or two. And usually it takes a while, for because I'm kind of hard-headed, for the conviction to really work its way through to I really see what God's trying to tell me through Jason Hale or somebody, something like that. Everyone get that? All right, next week we're going to jump into Grace Delivered, the three delivery systems of grace. So I'm going to end here. And, uh, and we're going to talk next week about our lifelong journey out of grace out of performance-based living to grace-based living, which we've discussed a few times before, but I don't think we can talk about that enough. So we'll pick it up there next week, and we'll see you back here in six to seven minutes. Thank you.